First Timothy chapter three. Chapter three. This is our eighth sermon in our eighth sermon, or beginning our eighth sermon in the book of Timothy. Uh, we're only going to be doing verse one today. Uh, so if you're a member here, you're like, uh-oh. <laughs> so uh, I will tell you, just so you can be prepared. First uh, Timothy chapter three, one through thirteen, will take us about eight to ten weeks to complete. Um, because there is a lot to cover when it comes to the two offices in the church. Like I said, uh, we're beginning uh, really year two and a half or so of this church plant, and uh, it is crucial for us uh, to understand the teaching uh, that Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is going to teach here in this passage. Uh, it's important for our church. It's important for the longevity of our church. So um, that's why we're going to spend a great deal of time on it. It is um, it is in depth, uh, and um, the characteristics of elders and deacons uh, should not be looked over lightly. And so we're going to spend a great deal of time. Um, so a church that went 16 months to the Book of Mark, uh, just remember it won't be that long. Okay, church Timothy won't be that long. So. Um, 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, beginning with verse 1, the Holy Word of God says this. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Um, back in the first church I ever planted, back in 2005, I was outside of Houston and pulled double duty in that church plant for a while, teaching both adults and students. And it was in a particular student Bible study uh, with some teenagers uh, in my home. There was about 30 of them there that we uh, made a comment about pastors and uh, probably the one of the best students, if not the best student I ever had. She spoke up and said, what it must be like to not have a real job to be a pastor. <laughs> she immediately realized, based on the look on my face, that her words were misplaced. And she said, Well, I mean, I know that you have a that you work. I'm just saying you don't have like a real job like my dad has. Realizing she was still not working well, uh, she attempted uh, to backtrack some more and say, what I mean is, what a privilege it is to just study the Word of God. She was about 16 at that time, and I looked at her and I said, here is my prayer for you, Jessica, that God would call you into full-time ministry. And that is what God did. She now serves on a mission team uh, in the war-torn areas of Africa, and I am thrilled by that, and I remind her when I get to see her on occasion of what she said. But culturally speaking, pastors are either well thought of or not well thought of, uh, and um, sometimes pastors uh, are not thought well of because they have done poor things. Let's just take a quick hand raising, which might be hard for some of you solid Baptists, because you've probably never done that in church service. <laughs> so let's 
let's see what we do here. How many of y'all have ever attended a church where a pastor wasn't that great? Okay. So, we understand this idea of not good impressions by pastors. You talk to waitresses, waiters, they will tell you the worst day to wait tables is Sunday because they have the rudest people. Uh, that is true. Talk to anybody in the food business, they will tell you that. And so by and large, church people are not thought well of in some areas of the culture because of how we respond. And if you drill that down even more, you will hear people talk about pastors and how they demand discounts at restaurants and those kinds of things like that. And so, have y'all heard of that stuff before? Shake your head. That is why this series is foundational for us to wrap our head around. Because we do not want to have the opinion of pastors that the culture might have, or even the opinion you might have about pastors. We need to find out what the Word of God says about pastors. And then you as a covenant member of Sovereign Life Fellowship, have a duty to hold pastors accountable to the qualifications and lifestyle spoken of here in the Scripture. So this is an important series for us. So, what is, in this text, an overseer? What is an elder? What is a Pastor, what is a bishop? Well, I have thought a lot about this text. I've taught through it before, um, actually longer than I plan on teaching it to us. And so I'm not going to go in great detail about everything, but I uh, do think that if you have more questions, feel free to get with me so we can cover it. But I just want to, want to try to summarize some of this. Um, and not ask you to take my word for it, but I'm going to ask you to take notes and go and study it yourself. Um, but this idea of pastors, bishops, overseers, elders, we're going to find out that the New Testament uses those um, interchangeably. And in this text, we'll find that out for sure. And we'll also find out uh, through the rest of First Timothy chapter 3 about a second office. So there's two offices of a church, two leadership offices in the church, if you would say. Uh, one would be elders, they are the leaders of the church, and the second office would be deacons, they are servants of the church. And one through seven of this passage is going to teach us about elders. Now the word elder uh, is sometimes also translated as pastor, sometimes translated as shepherd and overseer, sometimes translated as bishop. Uh, and they are used interchangeably throughout the text of the New Testament. And we would know, if you've been around church much, that those titles could mean different things among various churches today. But it would seem, reading the text and reading many others that we will cover today, that it means to point to one particular office which is occupied by godly men. Now, if you're here today, you say, well, what about godly women? Well, you should have been here last week. We covered that. And so I would tell you that it's online, and please uh, please go and listen to that, and you'll know where our church stands on that. Having said this, I want to remind you of one thing as we enter into this discussion 
This sermon series for the next several weeks that focus on elders will hold elders high. And I mean that it holds the position high. The men who occupy those positions are in many ways no different than anybody else in this room when it comes to the struggle with sin, the battle for the faith. We are weak men who need the gospel just as much as everyone else in this room needs the gospel. And I hope and pray that myself or any of our other two elders that serve currently with us or any future elders, that this church would never get a whiff from us that we think we are better than anybody. That would be an affront, an affront to the gospel. And I don't want that to ever happen. And yet, there is a high calling upon elders. And we're going to teach it that way, okay? So having said that, recognize um, that I struggle just as you struggle and that God's called me into this role. In Acts 20, you don't have to turn there, but in Acts 20, Paul is speaking to the leaders of the Ephesian church, which is where Timothy is pastor now. But in Acts, Paul is speaking to the leaders of the church in Ephesus, and they are called elders, plural, in verse 17. In verse 28 of that same passage, he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. And so we see there again in that passage, the elders are also called overseer, overseers, and their pastor shepherding duties are implied to the church when it calls the church a flock. In Titus 1, 5 through 9, Paul gives qualifications of elders, verse 5, and says these qualifications are necessary because an overseer must be above reproach. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, which is where we're at now, Paul gives the qualifications of overseers, which are essentially the same as the qualifications of elders in Titus 1. And in 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4, Paul or Peter tells the elders to shepherd the flock of God. And from these passages, we see that the office of elder, pastor, shepherd, overseer, bishop is one office. And those who occupy this office are called to lead, teach, and watch over the church like a shepherd. Now what we do know also, and we'll learn through the book of Timothy, that not all elders are necessarily preachers and teachers. That might be slightly confusing to some. But in 1 Timothy chapter 5, which we've not arrived at yet, but we will, but 1 Peter chapter 5, or 1 Timothy chapter 5, I'm sorry, verse 17, it says this, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. And there's a comma, and it says, Especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. And so we see here in the text, that there are elders who are not necessarily laboring in preaching and teaching, but they are still called to rule, to oversee, to shepherd the flock. We have tried to demonstrate that here in our own church in our elders. I am the primary Bible teacher in this church, um, and that's not because I'm smarter than Wayne or Lucas. St. Luke is paying attention back there. It's just the way God's called us and the way the elders feel at this time 
should be. But I am called to be the one who labors the majority of the time in preaching and teaching. But all elders rule. All elders oversee the flock. Now don't run past those words. Rule means rule. Now, if you're like me, rule makes me think of some kind of a dictator king. That would not be the gospel. This idea of ruling would be to oversee, to lead, to shepherd, to protect, to guard. And that is what it means by to rule. The next question that we will have to tackle as we walk through the series is how many are there in a local church? By and large, I would bet that most of you grew up in a church that was more likely deacon ruled than elder ruled, which is wrong. Sorry, Dad. <laughs> My dad was a deacon all his life. I do not mean to imply that they were not attempting to do the best they knew how. I'm not saying that at all. But I think the text clearly shows, as we walk into deacons in the next few weeks, that elders rule and deacons serve. I talked to a pastor once. I was young in the ministry, and I went to him, and I said, I'm reading this text in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and it seems like there's two offices in the church, elders and deacons. And he said, actually, that's just pastor and deacons. Deacons are kind of interchangeable with elders. It doesn't seem like that in the text. And he said, trust me, it is. I'm like, well, it's not. We're going to see that. Most of you grew up in a church that the deacons ruled, they made the decisions, and the pastor was kind of, they were kind of the pastor's boss, for lack of a better word. Some of you grew up in a maybe deacon-ruled church, but it was basically pastor-ruled. And the pastor ran the entire church the way he saw fit. And you were never, ever allowed to uh, disagree or contend with him in any way, shape, form, or fashion. He was above everybody else, and nobody could hold him accountable. That is also not a biblical model of church. Now, that does not mean that you didn't serve underneath a pastor who was great. Just because a pastor is wonderful and sweet and humble and leads well, that's great. That's wonderful for the church, and I'm glad you didn't have elders, plural, and I'm glad you just had one elder who did well. But more than likely, he will move on, and then you are rolling the dice that the next guy does the same thing. And so that's why the model that we see in Scripture is a plurality of elders. In fact, everywhere that you see a teaching over pastors, it is always plural. There are more than one. And people say, well, that's because there are multiple churches. That is not true. It's not. Single churches... Multiple elders. Paul writes to Timothy in his church in Ephesus and says, here's the qualifications for elders, plural. In Acts, when Paul is speaking to him, he is speaking to the elders, plural. There should be a plurality of pastors within a local church because let's just be honest about power and leadership. Giving that to one single person has never worked out well historically ever in the world in any kind of an organization. And we know that is true for the church. There should be more than one. Now, 
Does the congregation play a part? If you are visiting with us today or if you have forgotten, I will remind you that our church is elder-led with limited congregationalism, which means our church does vote on things in order to hold the elders accountable. But by and large, our elders make the decisions for the church with accountability structure in charge or in place. So elders rule. The congregation still has some role within the church. So there should be more than one. People say, well, how many should a church have? I would say as many as are qualified to hold the office, I would say we ought to get as many of those as we possibly can within a local church. Our church is unique in that we are all bivocational. So after this church service, I will drive to Dallas-Fort Worth and fly to Philadelphia where I will work for a few days before coming home. But I have two other pastors who are just as equal to I, have the same voting authority I have, have the same oversight authority that I have, who will be in town. There should be more than one, and I am thrilled that that be the case. We should have as many as we possibly can within our church, and I'm happy that we have that here. And, God willing, our church will have more. My goal and our elders' goal is to have more non-paid elders in our church than paid elders within our church. Because I think when a bunch of non-paid elders come before the church with an idea when it comes to finances, it works a little bit better than pastors who are all paid voting for raises for themselves. We see that in Congress, don't we? We don't want to see that in the local church. Currently, however, our church has only paid elders. But I hope, God willing, that the Lord will increase that. Now on to the main point of this passage and this sermon today. This saying is trustworthy. Which means Paul's emphasizing this saying. Maybe it was a saying that was already in the local church. Maybe Paul is starting a saying in the local church and people disagree over which one of that is. But nevertheless, this saying is Trustworthy, meaning take this one to the bank. This one is important. And he says, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So what is this noble task? I mean, we all have opinions about pastors. We all, we all have thoughts about what they should be about and what they should do. But let's find out what the Bible says they should do. Let me just walk through a whole bunch of texts for you. We're going to read this rather quickly. I will make some commentary on each one. But you should write these down and study them as we continue our teaching through the elders for the next several weeks. In 1 Peter chapter 5, which is our elder reading, it says, So I exhort the elders among you. By the way, that's plural. As a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock. We all have a picture there of a shepherd. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Okay, My first responsibility as a pastor is to those who are among me. Another great verse for covenant membership. 
who there's no membership in the Bible. How do I then know who is among me? If I'm going to have to shepherd you, should I not know who that is? Because if I have to shepherd everyone who ever shows up to our church at, every, at any point whatsoever, whether they did it once or twice, boy, how difficult is that be? But here, Peter says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. And this is an important next phrase. Not for shameful gain. Every pastor, just like you, most likely struggles with an idea of allowing money to take priority in their life. Pastors should be paid. I argue they should be paid well. I argue they should be paid more than you probably ever had paid a pastor in your entire life in any church you've ever attended. No amens. <laughs> it's true. I think you see that in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Double honor. But I know how... That's why it's easy for me to talk about this. I'm bivocational. And you pay me well. I'm happy about that, but I would contend that most are not paid well. Not taken care of well. But the theory of that, and I've heard more than one person say this to me, we don't want to pay them too much because then they'll get prideful. And we want to keep them humble. Like, oh, that's... Use that in your life. <laughs> no one wants that. No one wants their boss to tell them that. But yet we see here in the scripture that there is a tendency for pastors, as there is for everybody else, to do things for shameful gain. And pastors and elders who hold this position should never, ever do things for shameful gain. And you as a congregation must hold them Accountable. So, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not, crucial phrase, not domineering over those in your charge. Pastors should not dominate their congregation. They should not domineer them. They should not oversee them with such weightiness that people regret sitting under their leadership. Been there before? I have. That's not what pastors should do. You should love being led by your pastors. Instead, I am called to be an example to the flock. That's scary. <laughs> Here's the calling on my life. What does it look like to be a godly man? the calling on my life. I'm supposed to set the example for what that looks like in Christ. That's scary. Those of you who know me, <laughs> scary. It weighs upon me. Just recently, we were at a restaurant and it did not go well. The service didn't go well and I could have complained and could have cried and could have said all kinds of things, but I told my wife if I do that, more than likely, this is how it works out. Somebody finds out I'm a pastor. And it never works out to the way you, we treated him poorly. We did not provide good service to him. Instead, it will work out this way. He's a pastor. Typical pastor. That's how it works out. 
I am called to be an example of what it means to be godly. And if Jesus can get struck in the face, then surely I can give bad service. Amen? It's a calling on my life. I am to be an example to this flock. Lucas is an example to this flock. Wayne is an example to this flock. And I'm called to shepherd you. Those among me. Not called to shepherd someone else's church. Though I often desire to. As you may have heard me comment. I get frustrated about other churches. And some of their lack of doing things publicly that I think should be done. But I'm sure they may get frustrated about me. And I need to be careful to concentrate on the flock that is among me. I will not give an account for other churches. But I will give an account for this church. In Acts chapter 20, 28 through 31, we see this. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Elders should be paying attention to themselves and their flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. I am called to care for the church of God. And here's why which he obtained with his own blood. Pastors, you better care for the church because Jesus obtained it with his own blood. That's a high calling and a weighty one. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. I am called to be alert, not only for outside wolves, but more often than not, the problems that occur within a church occur from within the church. And as an elder, I am called to watch myself and be alert to watch over you. And it says, remembering that for three years I did not see Snyder Day to admonish everyone with tears. Any of you, any of you like to be admonished? I mean, that, that's my favorite thing to happen. Tuesday is admonish day. Let's go all go to the church and be admonished by Jason. Or, or Thursday is. No one wants to sign up for that day, do we? But I am called not, not to just watch you. I'm called to watch myself. You see the text? You see how Paul places the, or the emphasis on me? I gotta watch for, watch myself and watch you. Be alert. Watch out for the wolves. And I'm called to admonish. I'm called to say what you're doing is wrong. What you're doing is not in keeping step with the gospel. And pastors who will not do that are not worth their office. I'm called to do that. What child truly, truly wants a parent who will never intervene? And what church member truly wants a pastor who will never intervene and say you're wrong. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. <clears throat> Keep a close watch on yourself. Are you seeing a theme? 
Elders are not called just to look at you. They are called to look at themselves first, to to watch their own life and doctrine. Keep a close watch on yourself and listen to this. And on the teaching. I was telling one of our members recently how the prosperity gospel is sinful, but is it not alluring? I mean, wouldn't it be great if that were true? Come to Jesus and everything works out great for you? Is it, wouldn't that not be great if that worked, but it doesn't work? And I have to be careful as a pastor in a culture that is submerged in that kind of teaching all over the place that I am never influenced in my teaching for that kind of stuff. I have to be careful to make sure I'm not influenced by fads or even other authors or other pastors. One of the greatest things that happens for pastors are podcasts. One of the worst things that happen for pastors are podcasts because we try to regurgitate what everybody else is saying. My goal, my hope, and my job is to preach the Word of God to you, not someone else's sermon. And I'm called to do that. I have to keep a close watch on the teaching of God's Word. Persist in this. For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. That's scary. That I could start teaching things that could lead us astray. That's weighty. James chapter 3 verse 1 says this. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Has our culture not identified that more than once the pastors? We can all make mistakes in this room, but let a pastor do it. It's not a double standard. It's a biblical standard. It says so right here in James. If you're going to be a teacher, get ready, because you will be judged with greater strictness. The day I take a pastor is the day that my family moves into a glass house. And everything I do, and everything I say, every joke that I tell, everything that I can ever cross the line, any unfiltered thought, I always tell people who know me well, who have gotten to know me more intimately, I'll say things, I'm about to speak unfiltered. Even those things can come back to haunt me as a pastor. When was the last time you heard a pastor sit in a small group and tell you what they're struggling with? Do you know why suicide is so high among pastors? Because they don't feel like they have anywhere to go. Who do they talk to? Who do they share anything with? It doesn't make you go, you, oh my gosh, you should never struggle with that. You're a pastor. You wouldn't believe how many times I've heard that in my life. You struggle with that? Yeah. And people's minds change. But we struggle in this culture because we move into a glass house. And the Bible reminds us that we who teach, we judge with greater strictness. 
And not just me, but my wife. My wife is judged. Even my children. We have an entire joke about preacher's kids, don't we? Isn't that sad? Because they're always watched. Like, well, he's a preacher's kid. He does so-and-so. Half of our youth group is doing that, for crying out loud. But no one ever says that. They go, well, preacher's kid does that. Do you see the weight of this call? Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 says this. Obey your leaders. When was the last time you heard a sermon on that? <laughs> obey, your, obey your leaders, part one. This is the sermon for today. <laughs> obey your leaders and submit to them. And here's why. For they are keeping watch over your souls. Elders, me, Wayne, Lucas, we are called to keep a watch over your souls. Submit to us. Not because we're domineering, not because we're jerks, but because our ultimate desire is for your soul. We're worried about your soul. We're worried about your marriage. We're worried about your children. We're worried about the path you're taking in life. It's a calling on us. I gotta, I gotta watch for your soul. And so when we come to you and we say, I know you don't understand this. Have you ever heard this as a child when your parents came in? I know you don't understand this. I know you don't know why we're doing it this way. I know you think it's stupid that we're doing it this way. But with everything that we know as mere humans in the role of an elder, we feel like this is the right direction to go. And we're asking you to obey and submit to that. We want you to do it willingly. Knowing that we're watching out. For your souls. And listen to this. As those who will give an account. To me, as a pastor, that is one of the scariest verses in the Bible. I had a pastor tell me once, I don't know that you can necessarily prove it theologically, but I understand where he's going from this verse. That long after you have enjoyed heaven, after you've met all your family and friends and hung out with all the apostles and checked out everything, and it's been 10 or 12,000 years, you will walk by a room where pastors will still be standing before God, giving an account for how they led the church. If we were to be judged, and we know for every careless word that is ever said, the pastors stand in a pulpit and say words every week. And here it says that we will give an account for how watch over your souls. Every one of you, every single covenant member of this church, according to this text, I'm going to stand before the creator of the universe and give an account for how I cared for you. That's scary, man. Scary. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, 1 through 5, still on this double task. Anybody want to sign up for elders yet? <laughs> 2 Timothy chapter 4, Verse 1 through 5, y'all heard me preach this every year at the beginning of the year. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, 
who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. It's my calling. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Aren't you glad it doesn't say reprove, rebuke, and exhort? It says reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having engineers, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off in the myths. That's happening today. As for you, as for you, elder, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. When I ask my kids to leave a large church they were attending with my family to come to a church with no students and really a church that was dead in so many ways. I told them that it would be a tremendous sacrifice. They would not be hanging out with their friends. It would be a hard task. And for my oldest boy, he will leave youth ministry. I'm glad Matt's here. But the predominant part of my oldest son's life He did not have a youth ministry because his dad and his mom came to them and said, God's called us to do this, and this is a sacrifice, and this is a suffering. And listen, pastors and elders who do this, not only do they have to endure suffering, but their families will endure suffering as well. And I've tried to tell my kids, this is what God's called me to do. And I'm asking you to be joyful, And come with us to see what God will do. And I hope and I pray that God will bless this church and this church will grow. And long after I'm worm food, my son, maybe in his 60s, can drive by a church somewhere and be reminded of God's faithfulness to build his church. And I told them, if you were a missionary son called to the middle of nowhere, you would have no youth ministry. And God's called us here. But there is real suffering that occurs for elders who are called into this role. This is a brief, quick description of the noble task. Anyone who desires to be an elder, here's what's, this is scary and this is hard, but the Bible calls it a noble task. Noble. Who wants to go and do this? And if you do, you desire a noble path. And then in one more verse, Paul expresses this task like this in 2 Corinthians 11.28 in his list of sufferings. He says, and apart from all these other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all of the churches. I realize in context, Paul is speaking to the multiple churches he is overseeing. There is still a pressure on every pastor who pastors a church. It is a weight that I cannot describe to you. The first church I ever resigned as a pastor, a friend of mine who was an older pastor said, it will be a supernatural thing when God 
moves you out of that church. You will feel a weight shift like you have never felt in your life. And he was right. And God removes that mantle of having to care for that flock. There is something that is just amazing. There is a burden that sets upon pastors for the people. And he quickly added it to me again for another church. But I can't describe the burden. It is unlike anything I have ever known. This church is in my thoughts daily. Talk to Lucas. Lucas and I laugh about it all the time. Three o'clock in the morning, I can get up for a glass of water, and it's the church. How do, how do we do this? How do we how do we work out this? And how can we do this better? And, and, and where was so and so last week? And are they upset? Are they mad? <laughs> Have we come alongside them enough? Have we come alongside them too much? Or, or is, is the music good? Is the music bad? Was it too big of a change? Was it not enough change? Is our youth minister going the right way? Is it going? Too good. I mean, we have all these millions of thoughts that explode into our mind. And there is an anxiety and a pressure that sits upon me for this church. Are you a man who desires this noble task that I have described to you from the scriptures today? And that word aspire means to Translated into Greek, to stretch oneself out. To stretch oneself out in order to touch or to grasp something. That's what this church needs with our elders. Men who soberly approach this calling in their life. And if you've heard this and you say... I still desire it. Well, then you have the first qualification to be an elder. But there are many other qualifications. But you have the first. The four principles that I tried to live by that was taught to me by another pastor is to preach the word, love the people, and pray often. And then I added the fourth one. Lead well. Because elders must lead well. Now this is a gospel-powered leadership. This is not man-made leadership. This is a supernatural anointing, a gifting, a mantle. It is grounded in the gospel and it must stay grounded in the gospel. Meaning, this is not how we pick elders. We don't look and see who is the most successful businessman, who is the banker, who has the most money, who's good at things, and we make them elders. The church has done that and has done that to the detriment of the church. The qualification of elders are here in verse 23 and the task that is noble I've just described to you. That is what we are looking for in men. We are not looking for people who are naturally gifted. We are looking for people who are supernaturally gifted. And that is what we are looking for. These are the men who are gospel-centered, gospel-driven, as I hope all our men are. But by God's choosing... And God's choosing alone, he has supernaturally given them an ability to lead his church. And the power of the gospel should be evident in their leadership.
This brings me to a great time to say, what is the gospel? <laughs> now you know we're closing. This is the gospel. You were born into sin. No one had to teach you how to sin. And I know people say, why don't we do this every week? Because we need to be reminded every week. Amen. You were born into sin. You do it naturally. No one had to teach you. And your sin separated you from a holy, holy, holy God. But because God loved you, even while you were yet sinning, He sent His Son to live a life that you could not live and to die in your place on the cross. As a propitiation for your sin, so that by faith and grace, those who repent and believe can be brought back into a right relationship with God and forever be not perfect. Not yet. One day. But different. That is the gospel. How do I do that, you might ask? The Bible says repent and believe. If you would repent of your sins and believe in Christ, God will change your heart. And if that happens, and if it does happen, it will be evident by a life that is never the same again. You cannot be invaded by the creator of the world and stay the same. You can't. After introduction to elders, be prayerful for us as we move through the rest of the qualifications. As Wayne, as Wayne, as Keith, you're about to have to lead us in worship. Wayne, Wayne could have done that. He's going to come and lead us in some worship. You need to talk to anyone about salvation. I'm here. Wayne is here. Lucas is here. Our staff is here. We'd be happy to chat with you about that. Be prayerful for our elders. Be prayerful for the future of our church when it comes to elders. Will you pray for us? God, you are good. Thank you for teaching us your word. God, thank you for thank you for the high calling of eldership. God, I am so thankful you didn't ask me to do this on my own ability. God, I'm thankful that you have proven yourself faithful time and time again. God, I pray for our future elders that they will be men who have a passion for you, passion for this noble task of loving God's people. And God, I pray for our congregation that they would always know, and it would always be so, that they would be loved and cared for by men who love you. Help us, God. Help us to be that as a church. Grow your church, Lord. You and you alone can grow one. God, we humbly ask you to do that among us. In your name we pray. Amen.